Hello, and welcome to the Cloud Architects podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. Good day, everyone. Chris Goosen here, and today I'm flying solo without Nick or Warren. For more information on this episode, as well as a list of our other episodes, check us out on the web at thearchitects.cloud. This podcast is brought to you by Kemp Technologies. We chose Kemp as a sponsor based on their amazing product line for the cloud, which includes the Kemp Loadmaster appliance in the Azure marketplace, as well as the Kemp 360 family. For more information, go to kemptechnologies.com. Today, I have a couple of old friends and fellow MVPs joining me on the show. Simon Wade is a Azure MVP from Australia, and Michelle DeRoy is an Office Service and Services MVP from the Netherlands. Welcome, guys. Hi, Chris. Well, before we get started and jump in, um, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourself and, uh, and tell us about a little bit about what you do. So starting with you, Simon. Thanks a lot, Chris. Um, so my background is um, as a software developer. Um, my focus, I guess, in working in the Azure space is helping uh, companies and other people um, move their solutions into Azure. Um, I've also done a little bit of Office 365 work as well, but mostly focused on Azure. Um, and you know, the topic today, DevOps, is a, is a good spot for me because I do a lot of it. So looking forward to it. Awesome. And uh, for, the, for the Americans listening, uh, Azure is, is Azure uh, in <laughs> colonial terms. <laughs> uh, and Michelle, over to you. Yeah, I'm an IT professional working for a company called Rapid Circle in the Netherlands. Uh, I'm doing a lot of onboarding on Office 365 services for customers and all the challenges that involve such uh, projects. Um, I do a lot of scripting around that as well to uh, yeah, make um, project supporting tools and scripts to make the process a little bit more easy and automated. Awesome. And I think that's, you know, for me, that's one of the, the reasons why I was so interested to have both of you uh, join me on this particular show, because, you know, we want to talk a little bit about um, automation and scripting and, you know, this thing called DevOps, which seems to be a bit of a buzzword lately. Um, and, and I get some, some background for, for the listener at home. Uh, we actually saw each other about six weeks ago when we were all in uh, Redmond, Washington um, at, at a conference, but we just couldn't make it all work, um, you know, being in the same room at the same time. So, so now we're recording with, you know, with about a 16-hour uh, time zone spread, and, and you know, it's uh, really late in the, in the evening for all, early in the morning, shall we say, uh, for Michelle. So very appreciative of, of, you, of you being there or being here. I guess the the idea of of this particular topic um, is it's been something I've been thinking about a little bit for a while. And and if we think about um, how over over the last few years the, the role of the IT pro or or the server admin has started to evolve. Um, you know, in the past maybe people were were, were more taken or their time was taken up by uh, deploying services, right, and, you, and and making sure that things are. Um, performing correctly and patched and backed up and all that kind of stuff. And, and with the cloud, a lot of that stuff is going away. And a lot of people uh, in the community have written and, and talked extensively about the fact that, um, you know, it's kind of an adapt uh, and make yourself relevant if you're an IT pro. And, 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 and I think that what I'm starting to see a little bit is, is that some of the things uh, in this new world um, there's, there's, there's really a very sort of loose boundary now between things that in the past would have maybe been considered the role of a, of a developer, right, or someone who, who's, a, who's a coder. And we're starting to see IT pros sort of tackle those, tackle those tasks and um, take on those tool sets uh, to be able to 
um, essentially see that evolution of their role. Uh, a great example is, you know, it's not uncommon anymore to see uh, Visual Studio installed on, on, you know, on a consultant or IT Pro's laptop, right? Whereas in the past, that was exclusively something that was a, a developer tool. And I think, Simon, obviously your background as a, uh, as a developer and, and Michelle, your scripts have, have saved me, uh, you know, countless hours in the past with, with automation. So I figured it would be a really, really good place for us to, you know, look at different perspectives of, of, of how we, or how this is being, being done today. So I think what I want to do is kind of start with a, uh, maybe an easy or maybe a really difficult question, which is, what is DevOps, right? With, we, we hear it everywhere, and if, if recruiters are to be believed, you know, it's the be-all and end-all of every single job role at the moment. But is there a, an easier way to break it down as to, you know, what, what that actually is? So I think um, I'll, have a, I'll have a stab at that, Chris. So um, I think d the DevOps terms become a little bit loaded, um, a little bit like, you know, Agile has from a... A delivery perspective, but you know, in the in the context of I guess what we're talking about here today, um, really what we're talking about is, as you've touched on, um, scripting and automation. So you know, you said you've used Michelle's scripts to save you know countless hours of your life, and that's a big part of of the DevOps story. Um, but it's also from from my perspective, from a developer's standpoint, it's about doing things like continuous integration and continuous delivery, which is maybe a little bit of a a weird concept to many, you know, traditional administrators, um, but um, is increasingly becoming more common. You know, when we start to leverage um, the easy teardown, stand-up capabilities of cloud platforms, we can really start to do things that, in a traditional environment, we maybe would not have done. So, if you think about um, the way Microsoft manages, say, the Office 365 environment, where literally they have, you know, farms of machines that pop into existence and then pop out of existence um, automatically. No one's sitting around doing doing any work on those machines. So DevOps is really, I think at its core, it's about um, automation using tools, whether it's scripting or custom software, um, and then using things like telemetry to drive, you know, improvements in those automations and approaches. What what do you think about that, that Michelle? Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, my perspective is a bit more from the opposite, so I sometimes refer to it as OpsDev. Yeah, from my perspective, it's uh, repeating the same procedure. Um, let's see, I saw a lot of admins repeating the same task over and over, and I'm from nature a lazy person. That's a good thing in this cons uh, in this reference because yeah, if I do the same task for one machine or hundred machines, it's it's in a sense the the same uh, kind of procedure and having that automated and repeatable also allows me to hand off stuff to the to co-workers and then I can focus more on optimizing the procedure or incorporating new requests or stuff like that. Okay, so so I think so. What I'm hearing from from a development side uh, is is that really this is a, a way for us or a way to. Um, to very quickly uh, iterate on on what you're doing, perhaps. So if you if you need to, um, uh, you're you're no longer really developing a, a product or a, or a piece of software that is going to be forgotten or installed and uh, you know updated once every few years. This is something that there's there's a continuous sort of iteration of of, of improvement or change to the product. Um, 
but then also looking at from from an, an IT pro or administrative perspective, there are additional concepts here that that kind of assist that, right? So things like um, uh, being able to be more efficient at uh, tasks that are uh, done many times, but also looking at things like uh, monitoring and, and and the telemetry piece that, that that Simon just mentioned. Is that kind of a good way to kind of uh, to capture the, the um, you know what we're looking at here, Simon? Yeah, I think I think it is. Um... You know, I think um, you know. Even though I guess I come at this from a, a more of a the dev part of DevOps, um, you know, a big part of DevOps and where I see it, it talked a lot about um, in the industry these days is very much in the infrastructure automation space. You know, concepts like infrastructure as code, um, being able to, you know, effectively reprovision new environments on demand um, and have them effectively be a carbon copy of what has come before. Um, solves one of the massive issues that we've traditionally had in either software development or you know even infrastructure management where you know your test environments are never the same as your production environments you know it's always very hard to get to that level whereas when we start to get into that automation space um, and we have a, a kind of a continuous improvement continuous development continuous deployment mindset we know that 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 infrastructure definition in our code is going to be tracking the changes we make to our, say, our production environment. And we know that when we run those automation scripts again next time, that the output is going to be, you know, closer. It's still probably not going to be identical because we don't necessarily have the same data in our other environments, but it's going to be from a infrastructure hosting perspective and potentially from an application software perspective, exactly what we have in production. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, your, your question about, you know, is it about automation? Yes, it is. Is it about you know repeatability? Yes, it is. Is it you know about using telemetry to drive decisions and improvements in some of the scripts that we have? Absolutely, it is. Okay, and, and I guess the you know the whole the whole point of this discussion is 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 I guess unpacking this to a point where we can understand that this isn't necessarily something that is only for developers, right? In that that Correct. IT pros, administrators, uh, the person who is possibly today responsible for that on-premises exchange server with blinky lights you know in the in the data center that person also potentially has a role to play uh, in this whole movement moving forward once that last mailbox is no longer on-premises um, and, and and now it's about looking at well how can we improve some of the processes that we have around um, uh, you know the way we do things on-premises today so we may, may not maybe we're not uh, developing code per se but maybe we have uh, a very lengthy provisioning process that you know that requires a whole bunch of manual intervention from a bunch of different people, and maybe we can look at that and we can look at what automation can bring to to that, right? And and certainly, I think the tooling in the service has has come a long way in the past. If we look at provisioning as an example, um, you know, a few just a few years ago, the license assignment part of of provisioning a user into Office three six five was was something that had to be done. You know, either manually or through some sort of custom script. Whereas today we can use groups, and, and that whole process is the whole need for that is, is negated. But um, I think we're, what we're going to find is that over time, those process improvement things um, will lead to automation and scripting. And so the need for IT pros and administrators to actually understand how maybe the development world works is going to become greater. At least that's kind of how I see it. With regards to that, um, it depends a bit on the environment the IT pro is in because a lot of IT pros are working in um, 
I'm in the Netherlands, so everything is considered a small to medium customer, uh, upper, uh, likely. Um, uh, but a lot of, um, uh, how do you call it, technology like desired state configuration allows IT pros to leverage uh, desired state configuration to provision or audit uh, configuration of systems or virtual machines. But um, yeah, that isn't necessarily considered scripting, but it's um, part of the infrastructure as, uh, as code. Um, yeah, so I think that's. I think it's yeah. a good. I think it's a good fit as well. I think you actually you're very you're actually very correct to talk about DSC as part of this, right? It's definitely in this in this wheelhouse for sure. So yeah, I mean, I guess the point that I that I was kind of trying to make was that that you know in general, I think um, we're seeing IT pros and administrators write more code than we have ever before. Right, uh, and so DSC is a great example, and you know DSC DSC out of the box can do a, a great number of things. DSC with some you know <laughs> custom scripts and code can can be amazingly powerful, um, and and I think that's you know um, you know potentially a a topic for another another episode. But I, you know yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, uh, Simon, you you were saying that you had a, a an opinion as well that you wanted yeah. to share on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's it. You know, when I look at, I look particularly at the kind of the IT pro admin space, um, and this is kind of an observation over the last few years of working fairly heavily with, you know, varying size organisations. Um, you know, you kind of have three speeds of, of IT pro admins in this space, right? There is kind of the, the newbie beginner who is probably just moving out of doing this sort of stuff manually or maybe running uh, individual commandlets to achieve, you know, some sort of outcome um, whether it's on-prem or in a cloud environment. Um, and then you've got the kind of the, the next step up from that, which is the person who's learnt to combine multiple commands and multiple APIs into um, much more customised scripts, either to solve, you know, something specific to just their organisation or a much broader solution that, you know, can be applied across any number of organisations um, that, that are using, say, something like Office 365. Um, and then there's finally, there's kind of like the, you know, the, the guys at the very top of the chain that have, you know, kind of gotten over that heavy duty scripting, understand the way to work with, you know, their, their languages and template languages of choice. Um, and they are now looking to do things like actually source control and version um, and do, you know, that kind of continuous deployment um, mentality where maybe they don't even need to run these things anymore they're automatically invoked by something like a I don't know a power app or a flow or a logic app in Azure that does the work for them when something else happens somewhere else in the system so I think IT pros who aren't on that journey definitely need to to start to be on that journey because I definitely have seen you know the the people in organizations who pick up even just the basics of scripting as a starting point that kind of level one um, you know, uh, DevOps, DevOps engineer, um, are already starting on this journey because there will be a lot of people in our industry that, that don't go on that journey. Um, and I think over time they're going to struggle to, you know, find themselves in a role because the reality is, is a lot of this work is being scripted. The opportunity is generally where, you know, Chris, you were talking earlier about um, the pain that was licensing in Office 365 for some time. Um, and I've seen firsthand some of the scripts that people wrote to get around that limitation. 
that that was a sweet spot, right? You know, that that custom coding was where the the kind of the DevOps engineer, the IT pro that's going on this journey, that's that's their sweet spot and how they can learn, um, you know, because there was a gap there. The speed that we're seeing with cloud um, and Office 365 and those sorts of services means there will always be gaps. However, when it's a serious enough pain point like licensing was, eventually it'll be solved by the vendor. You know, Microsoft now gave you a really neat and comfortable way to, to assign licenses across organizations and the need to do custom scripting um, has gone away. But the people who did all that custom scripting in the meantime are kind of at that level two or level three already in that in that journey. So it's um you know it's it's people need to start, I think is the base is the base basic message I'm saying is if you're not on this journey already, it's definitely worth going out and figuring out how you can start to do some automation in your space. So uh, you, you made some really good points there and a couple of things have kind of uh, you know resonated with me. Now um, you talked about source control now, and I don't I don't know if you recall maybe what was this maybe six years ago we were sitting in uh, Sydney Airport uh, the two of us we were actually flying to Melbourne I think for something um, uh, and we started talking about GitHub and 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 I think you gave me a very quick five minute prime of what what <laughs> GitHub was and I yep. remember yep. thinking at the time I did you you remember this um, yeah and I remember thinking at the time um, why would anyone want to put their code in a public repository for other people to, you know, not, not, not that I'm against code sharing or any of that kind of stuff, but I just, the concept of collaboration um, on code in a public repository, it, I just didn't get it at the time. Um, yeah. And when I was, when I was researching for this episode, um, the last couple of days, I noticed that both you and Michelle have uh, public GitHub repositories that you, you know, that you, that you obviously advertise. So it, it's interesting that, that you brought up source control. And do you, I mean, you, you've already, I guess, reaffirmed, reaffirmed what I was thinking before was that these are tools now that that IT pros need to start thinking about using and start to familiarize themselves with, right? What, what we do in projects that we kick up now uh, these days um, from an insight perspective is, you know, uh, we set up a, a Git, repo, Git repository for, for each project so that we have source control over all the scripts that, that, that we use, right? And, and obviously that's not public facing and it's something we manage internally, um, but it gives people the ability to go and find the latest version of something. Uh, and we're not emailing, you know, dot ps ones around that have been renamed to dot txts <laughs> or, or doing a doing a right right click zip and then copying to your OneDrive folder correct yes you're not using that pattern <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, it, but it, the it, other thing i yeah oh, sorry. sorry go ahead oh, i think it's it's you're spot on right and um you know thinking about the, the the guys at cloud you know we absolutely have an internal repository that 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 holds a lot of the scripting type magic that the guys have have worked on um i think you know, whether it be Git, um, you know, TFS, um, Subversion, whatever whatever it is, whatever weird and wonderful source control system you have, as long as it's not right-click, zip, copy to a network share, um, you're in a much better space than you would be otherwise. Um, and you, you're definitely right. I think IT pros probably have already been, you know, assaulted enough with the fact that they now have to do some, you know, programming um, and they probably vaguely remember it, maybe from the days at university, but now they're having to kind of go down that route. Some get it and some don't. And then the next kind of, I guess, the uppercut is the, well, now that you've done the scripting, um, you don't want to share it with people to your point through email um, because that's not great because it's bad for discoverability. But it then also means that you have no way of versioning your script 
because versioning will be important as you, you know, maintain this thing. And that's absolutely where source control comes into play and it lends itself then to doing you know, those continuous deployment scenarios where your, you know, your templates and your scripts can be run as part of a continuous integration or continuous delivery build, which you know, I think is probably worth a, a whole other podcast on its own, but it's definitely source control is an enabler for that. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, my um, uh, start to use uh, GitHub was driven by somebody who I knew for GitHub for quite a while, but didn't put in the energy to adopt this new, uh, not, not new, but this system of submitting code, revising, uh, committing new uh, new additions and stuff. But there were some uh, users of my scripts who had valuable contributions and uh, for them I uh, put stuff on GitHub so they that allows them to make modifications to the code to check out stuff. Uh, submit those for approval and if they are considered uh, usable for a more broader audience then we can incorporate those changes which is a far better system than emailing me lines of code which need to be added at a certain line in the uh, certain version of the script so yeah that whole process but it takes time to get used to it I'm I'm an old developer so I was used to using stuff like CVS everybody remembers that um, so yeah but in essence the, the, the principle is the same uh, managing the code and then having a source of authority of uh, yeah where that code lives and we also use that for projects now uh, for customers to yeah uh, have code wor- uh, co-workers uh, provide them scripts to leverage those on uh, customer projects and everybody um, yes makes makes uh, make sure that everybody uses the same script and not people try to reinvent the wheel yeah i think i mean i think it definitely solves the the reinventing the wheel problem um but it also solves the you know for one if if you if for whatever reason uh you find that there is a bug or some some challenge with with the current version you know it's easy for you to just roll back roll back the last commit um so that you end up with the version that you know is known to work again um, but for, certainly in my in, in in my life and in my my time, it it certainly solves the problem of emails constantly floating around. Hey, what's the latest version of this script? Right, X Y Z script that we I want to run this today. I want to make sure I have the right version. I'm using one version one point six. What do you have? Uh, you know, <laughs> the source control really really saves that. Yeah. And I think uh, to me, it's it's a very important thing. Um, you know, I like to to give all my teammates. Um, and and the, my team a primer on on on, uh, on Git whenever they come onto a project, so we we know everyone knows where everything is. Everyone knows that they need to be um, uh, if they're making changes to things, that's where they where they go for it and uh, that kind of thing. So um, that's, that really solves a bunch of problems, and I I really like this trend. Right, it's a, it's a really cool trend uh, that I'm seeing. Simon, you mentioned you mentioned you know the fact that people need to start wrapping their heads around um, you know programming languages, and and obviously the both of you guys have have. Um, some sort of of development background. Um, I I don't. I you know I've always been an infra guy. Uh, I mean, other than some you know very basic, I guess C stuff I did when I was a student. But <laughs> we won't we won't go there. Um, I think as an exchange person though, I I I was probably I've been quite lucky on this journey because you know Exchange two thousand seven pretty much forced us to start adopting PowerShell, right? And so for me, it's been more than ten years of the command line and, and, and PowerShell. And I think I've, you know, from there, it's been easy to, to learn 
the bits and pieces of other things that I that I know. But do you, I mean, are there things or particular languages you think that people should be investing their time in over other languages? So, I mean, if we look at Azure Automation, for example, your runbooks in Azure Automation can be PowerShell or they can be Python-based, right? Is Python something people should be looking at? Or, I mean, is, you know, is Microsoft still trying to take over the world with, with, with what they're doing? Is there a right? Is there a wrong? What do you think about that? Um, yeah, regarding languages, um, of course... I would say PowerShell is now a big uh, need to have, but depending on the area in which you are working, I think there are several other languages, but it might be interesting to adopt these environments uh, using Python, Ruby, all those kind of um, JavaScript can be useful depending on the area you work in. So it's, you need to check out and investigate what uh, languages, um, yeah, like the uh, considered generally uh, the standard, so to speak. Um, yeah, I don't see any developments from the upside in other areas. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I you know I think I think a lot of us take uh, PowerShell for granted, but you know there are there are a lot of people who don't who don't use or don't know PowerShell, right? And so, you know, I, I, I think you made a good point there that definitely PowerShell is, is becoming pretty much a, a must-have uh, these days in, in, you know, the administrator's toolbox. Yeah, but like uh, Simon commented earlier, I meet a lot of administrators who will have a challenge um, because now or less they are forced to learn a language or learn how to script and... Um, yeah, it's not their cup of tea. So uh, yeah, there's definitely say that. that they yeah. need to need to find another job. But yeah, that's not how the world works. So then things like DSC or other um, uh, yeah, what do you call it? Niches can be a bit more uh, approachable, uh, accessible for them to adopt and utilize those. Okay. I, I think to your point, Chris, you know, about um, I'd say a lot of IT pros, not everybody granted, have had at some point in their history some exposure to the concepts of programming. I mean, I guess we're of the generation where, you know, in the younger days there wasn't necessarily the widespread focus on, you know, technology learning that there kind of is today with kids in school. So. I'd say most of the kids today will come out of even primary school with some understanding of the basics of, of programming. Um, and I think if you haven't been exposed to kind of the basic logic tools that you have available to you in any programming language, then suddenly deciding to go and choose, say, PowerShell or Python or whatever it is to, to learn, you almost need to take one step back and start with the basics of, of programming and, and probably... Um, even starting with, you know, there are two there are two schools. You've got your procedural programming or your functional programming, right? And procedural is still probably the, the most common in the market. So things like PowerShell and C Sharp and, and um, you know, Java and JavaScript are procedural languages. So definitely people should be focusing on learning procedural language as a starting point. Um, if you're interested in learning PowerShell, it can also be very good to focus on learning C Sharp. So PowerShell is not C-sharp, but it uses a lot of the similar sorts of syntax and 
the power of PowerShell. That wasn't an intended joke, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> the the power is that you can import you know .NET libraries into your PowerShell scripts and then leverage um, the the power of the broader base class libraries that are coming with the .NET language. Um, plus, also we're now going down the kind of the open source uh, non-Windows route with PowerShell. So you've got PowerShell Core, which can run you know cross-platform. So I've definitely got at least one person I'm working with who um, is moving a lot of their PowerShell, traditional PowerShell content onto um, the new core framework, um, allowing them to effectively use those scripts um, cross-platform or to execute them cross-platform. Um, I know you talked about you know, Python. Absolutely, Python is, is kind of one of the, the growth languages. Um, a lot of that is because of um, you know, the data science platforms, um, the AI and ML type environments, Python is kind of the language that drives those. Um, JavaScript's there, but it's an interesting one. So the, the, um, the first cut of the Azure cross-platform cross CLI was actually written in Node.js. Um, and after a bunch of feedback from the community, um, Microsoft went away um, and rewrote that. And the new one's actually written in Ruby. Now, the reason they did that is because um, when they use Node.js for the original one is the footprint required to install the CLI was huge because you've got to download all of these things called um, NPMs, you've got to download all these modules and they just take ages to download and they take up a lot of space whereas the Ruby um, way of doing things is a lot smaller and also gels very well with the way admins work. So um, you guys will have you know gotten used to running a command piping the output from the command into another command which will take the input and do something with it and then piping that output into another command and so on and creating a chain of commands. That's what Ruby um, allowed Microsoft to do with the CLI and the reason that they didn't you know, continue with JavaScript and Node.js because it didn't really let them. So definitely I would say C Sharp and PowerShell if you're coming from this from a Windows, Windows perspective. If you really want to be cross-platform having a look at things like Python, .NET Core, PowerShell Core is probably going to be a, a space to, to have a look at as well. Well, awesome. I mean, I think that's that's some really really good information here. And and you know, I think just to to kind of recap a little bit, I think um, you know what we're saying is is that uh, you know from the top, DevOps really is something that it isn't just a developer for the developer. You know, I think uh, IT pros have a role to play there. Um, we're you know automation scripting or things that really are becoming increasingly more important to to the role of the IT admin um, and then things like like source control can really add a lot of, a whole lot of value to to what people are doing from a day-to-day -day perspective and solve a lot of challenges with um, exactly that maintaining you know a, a source and, and or at least a, a authoritative source for for things right because we're seeing programming and, and and code becoming just more and more part of the daily life of, of, of an IT admin um, and uh, you know, you know, really great feedback there. I think for anyone who's who's looking to get a head start on some of this stuff, um, you know, really to take that to um, take that into account and to think about uh, PowerShell and, and and things like that because they really are going to be enablers in the future. I think. Um, well, guys, it's, it's been it's been great. Um, thank you again very much for for your time and and thank you for for coming on the show. Before I let you go, though, I uh, just wanted to. This is your time. I want to just uh, you know, if there's anything you want to. Um, to plug, uh, you know, how can people find you on social media? Uh, are you going to be speaking at any events, things like that? You know, now's your time. Uh, Simon, I don't know if you want to go first. 
Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter um, at Simon Wait. That's W A I G H T. Um, you can find me on my blog at blog.siliconvalve.com. Um, otherwise, um, just reach out to, to Chris if you know how to get a hold of Chris and he can put you in contact. That's, that's it from my side. Thanks, Simon. And uh, how about you, Michelle, if, uh, if anyone wants to get hold of you? Yeah, if they was, want to see what I'm doing and, and what I'm up to, they can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at mderoy, that's M-D-E-R-O-I-J. And I blog uh, on 821, that's 821, but with a single T and a single O. Um, yeah, that's where they can find me and reach out to me if they want to. So actually, Michel, that's a, that, that, that's a very, uh, leads me to a very good, uh, very interesting question as we, as we close off us. And I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but um, can, you, can you give us a, a, just a, how did you come up with the, the name for your, for your blog? Well, the old SMTP RFC is uh, 8 to 1, but then that would be two T's and two O's, so I stripped them out and makes it more uh, more recognizable, but I have to spell it out every time I, I'm referring to it. So. Well, you know, I guess if you really wanted to, you could just say, you know, it's the, it's like the RFC, but just spelt, uh, <laughs> spelt in geek speak, I guess. Buy, buy the alternative <laughs> yeah. domain and just redirect it. <laughs> Oh, actually, that's yeah, a good point. For your birthday, we're getting you rfc821.com. <laughs> no, I still have uh, scripting 365 in the reserve, so I might <laughs> be using that someday. No, it's awesome. I, I, I love that story, so that's kind of why I, why I asked it. Uh, but once again, guys, thank you very much. I'm mindful of everyone's time, so thanks for, for joining us. And, uh, you know, um, thank you to everyone uh, for listening. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>